Cornelius that God has heard his prayers, that God has heard and God has seen what he is doing. Okay, that's what it says in verse 3 there. It says, um, he saw in the vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, and when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine arms are come up for a memorial before God. And so the angel tells him, the Lord's heard your prayers, the Lord's seen your good works, he's seen your alms giving, he's seen what you're doing, he sees your concern for the poor. You know, the Lord has taken notice of this. As we said earlier, you know, Cornelius' devotion to the Lord is real. Okay, you can't question that. His devotion is real, he just doesn't have full understanding of the truth. His devotion is real and it hasn't gone unnoticed by the Lord. God has seen that he is seeking God has noticed. God's paying attention. The Lord has seen this fact, and now the Lord is going to answer that prayer. And in verse 5, the angel tells Cornelius what he is to do. and tells him he's to send, Peter says, and now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He tells Cornelius now, he says, God's heard your prayers, God's seen your almsgiving. And he says, Peter has the answer. He says, this is what you need to do. You need to send to Joppa to fetch Peter. You know, what we see here is a fulfillment of God's promise that he will reward those who diligently seek him. Now, just turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, just quickly. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is... And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And God promises to reward those who diligently seek him. And if someone diligently seeks after God, he will reward them. He will reveal himself unto them, reveal the truth. And that's what God does here for Cornelius. God answers his prayer and sends him to find Peter. Because Peter has the answers. Peter has the answers to his questions. He says there in verse 6, He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. He says, Peter, he's going to tell you what you need to do. Peter has the answers to the questions you, you've been asking. He has the answer to what you're seeking. So verse 7 and 8 now, we see that Cornelius obeys the word of the Lord. And goes and fetches Peter. It says in verse seven, and when the angel was, uh, sorry, and the, when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his servant, household servants, and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. He, he acts immediately, doesn't he? He calls in his servants. He calls for two servants, and he calls for a, a military aide as well, one of his soldiers. And he tells them everything that's happened. It says in verse 8, he declares unto them all these things. He's not hiding any of it, is he? He's not hiding the fact that he's seeking after the truth. He's not hiding the fact that angels just spoken to him. He tells them everything and then he sends them on their way down to Joppa to find Peter and bring him back with them. So we've seen the hunger of a religious man. The second thing we see here is the preparation of of a believer the preparation of a believer just read with me verse 9 it says on the morrow 
As they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. You know, we've seen the hunger of Cornelius for the truth. He is seeking, seeking for the answers. We've seen that God has answered his prayer. God has said, Peter is the answer to your prayer. You need to go and find this man, Peter, staying in Joppa. You know, just as God had to prepare and instruct Cornelius, God also had to prepare and instruct Peter. And that's why the attention now in the, in the narrative here turns to Peter, what's happening with him. Because God needs to prepare Peter for what's about to take place as well. You know, this is all taking place according to God's perfect timing, isn't it? Okay, he's met with Cornelius. The men are on their way and now he meets with Peter as they're coming. It's all happening in God's perfect timing so that when those men arrive at Peter's door, he is ready for them. He's ready to receive them. As we said earlier, Peter, like any other Jew, was prejudiced towards the Gentiles. He was a Jew. The Jews did not like the Gentiles. And Peter is no different. And so God had to deal with this prejudice. God had to show him the truth. He had to prepare him to minister to Cornelius and Cornelius' household and others who were gathered. Now, verse 14 reveals to us that Peter had lived as an Orthodox Jew all his life. It says in verse 14, But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And that reveals to us that he is an Orthodox Jew. He has kept these laws concerning you know, what you can eat and what you can't eat. He is an Orthodox Jew. And so his relationship with the Gentiles is one of standing off. He doesn't want much to do with them. Now, for him, the law of Moses was a wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. You know, if they wanted to come over, they needed to abide by the law of the Jews. They needed to be circumcised. You know, otherwise they're uncircumcised Gentiles. You see, the Gentiles were considered aliens and strangers as far as the Jewish covenants and promises were concerned. You know, God was about to reveal to Peter that all of that had changed at the cross. He was about to show Peter clearly that, Peter, that doesn't matter anymore. It's changed in Christ. The barrier is broken down. The wall has come down. The, the middle wall of petition is gone. And all are now one body in Christ. Just turn over to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 and verse 11. It says, Wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. But at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments ordained in his ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body 
by the cross, I mean slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them that, are nigh, that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now Ephesians 2 summarizes for us the truth that Peter is about to learn, doesn't it? Summarizes for us perfectly this idea that before there was this distinction, this uncircumcised, the circumcised. You know, the ones with the law and the covenants and the Gentiles didn't have that. And Paul here in Ephesians makes, makes claim, clear sorry, the fact that um, the middle wall of petition has come down. There is no separation anymore. All are one body in Christ. And that is the truth that is going to be declared to Peter here by God. The truth that Peter needed to understand so that he might then minister to Cornelius. In verse 9 and 10, we're told that the next day as these men are approaching, Peter goes up to the housetop to pray. It says on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. Cornelius' men are on their way. And as they're coming, Peter goes up to the top of the house to pray. We're told it's about the sixth hour of the day. So this is about 12 o'clock by the Jewish reckoning. Okay, it's 12 o'clock, it's noon. And while he's there, we're told that he becomes very hungry. Okay, he's waiting for lunch, as we all do. We get hungry around midday, don't we? Okay, he's, he's hungry, he's waiting for lunch. He's waiting for them who are preparing it. Okay, it says that in verse 10. And he came very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready. So there's others making ready lunch. They're getting things ready. Peter is hungry and he's, you know, his stomach's grumbling for food. You can get the idea here there's a distraction taking place to his prayer. And while this is taking place, God causes him to fall into a trance. And in a trance, Peter now sees a vision. And the vision is described for us here in verse 11 through to 16. It says, And saw heaven open and a, a certain vessel descending under him. As it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him a second time, What God hath cleansed that called not thou common? This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Here we have the vision that he now sees described to us. And it's no coincidence concerning food. I mean, that's what his attention is on at this time. And then in this vision, Peter sees heaven open, and he sees this great sheet lowered from heaven. And in it are all sorts of animals. Told in verse 12, that there's all manner of four-footed beasts, wild beasts, creeping things. There's birds. There's all sorts of animals in this sheet, both clean and unclean, all mixed together. And as this sheet descends before him, there is a voice from heaven telling him, Arise, kill, and eat. And you know, Peter is immediately taken back by this command. He's shocked by this command, by this instruction to arise, kill, and and eats, and so he refuses to obey. Verse fourteen, he says, "But Peter said, Not so, Lord. 
He refuses. As we said, Peter is a devout Jew, an Orthodox Jew. He declares to us in verse 14 that he's never eaten anything that is common or unclean. For him to arise and to kill and eat would have been to break Moses' law. And so he refuses. You know, the unclean animals were strictly forbidden to the Jews to eat. Okay, That was given to them in the Levitical law, wasn't it? They were not to eat the unclean animals. And likewise, the clean animals that are in the sheep, they are defiled by the unclean animals. And so for them to be made clean, he had to sacrifice them in a right manner before he could eat, according to the Jewish law. And so Peter hears this command and he knows that if he obeys this command, he is defiling himself according to Jewish law. And so he says, not so, Lord. You know, the Lord responds to Peter in verse 15. He says, And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. God rebukes Peter, doesn't he? He rebukes Peter here. God is the one commanding Peter to arise and eat, and Peter has the audacity to say, Not so, Lord. No, Lord, you're trying to trick me or something. You know that's unclean. I can't eat that. He has the audacity to refuse to obey the Lord. God is declaring it to be clean. God's saying, it's okay, Peter. Rise up and eat. Now, if God has deemed it clean, what right does Peter have to call it common or unclean? What right does he have to, to refuse? In verse 16, we're told that this happens three times. It says, this was done thrice. And the vessel was received up again to heaven. Three times this takes place. Three times he's told to partake and he refuses. You know, as the sheet returns into heaven, Peter is left to contemplate the meaning of this vision. So it says at verse 17 at the start that it says, Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, he doesn't know what it means. He's struggling to understand the purpose of this vision. He's scratching his head. And as he wonders upon the vision, as he's thinking and trying to understand it all, we read that the men that Cornelius has sent come to the house. Verse 17 again, it says, Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry to Simon's house and stood before the gates and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there now these men arrive just at the right time don't they peter has just finished his vision with the lord and now these men arrive at the gates now god's timing is always perfect isn't it these men didn't arrive a second too early or a second too late it was exactly when god wanted them to arrive peter had been prepared even though he didn't fully understand it yet God had prepared his heart. God had got him ready, even though he didn't understand yet. God had got him ready for this meeting. And as the men are inquiring for Peter, the Spirit now tells Peter to go and meet these men and go with them. Verse 19, it says, While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee, arise therefore and get thee down, and go with them, nothing doubting, sorry, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. 
You know, the wording in verse 20 is important. He's told to go down, meet these men, and to go with them. And it says that he is to go with these men, doubting nothing. That phrase means making no distinctions. Making no distinctions. Peter has just seen this vision from the Lord, which he's still trying to understand fully the meaning of. He's still trying to comprehend what God's point is. And now the Lord says that he's to go down, meet these three men, and he is to go with them, not making any distinction. In other words, don't question it. Don't question whether it's right or wrong to go with these Gentiles or to have anything to do with them. You are to make no distinction, go with them. He's to go with them because God has commanded him to. You see, this is what the vision was all about. It was preparing Peter so that he would not say, not so, Lord, when he met the Gentiles at the door. Remember, that's his response to the food. That was his response about eating unclean animals. And God knew that would be his response to these men at the door. Not so, Lord. And so the Lord has been preparing him, getting him ready for this meeting to take place. God has rebuked him. God has prepared his heart so that he would not respond in the right way in the wrong way, but he responded in the right way, making no distinction. You know, the interesting thing here is that Peter still hasn't been told that he's meeting with Gentiles, has he? The Lord still hasn't said, oh, these three men are Gentiles, by the way, Peter. He hasn't told him that. He just says there's three men at the door. Peter doesn't find that out until he opens the door and he meets these men for the first time. Verse 21, we read on, it says, Then Peter went down to the men, which was sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause wherefore ye come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house uh, to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. Now here we see that Peter, in obedience to the Lord, now goes and meets these men. He meets them at the door. And he asks them why they have come. And they begin to tell him everything that's taken place. To tell him how Cornelius has seen the angel. And the angels told him to fetch Peter, who will tell him the truth. You know, this is when things really would have started to make sense for Peter, isn't it? This is when the light bulb would have gone on and he fully started to understand what God was trying to tell him. Standing before him are three Gentile men. Men who in the past he would have not had anything to do with, he would not have associated with in any way, lest he defile himself. And these men were sent by God to fetch him so that he could present the gospel unto Gentiles under Cornelius and his family. You see, this was the meaning of the vision. Peter was no longer to make a distinction between Jew and Gentile. What God has called clean, don't you dare call common. Peter's not to make a distinction. Before Christ, all are the same, all need the Lord. Now, verse 23, the start there, it says, Then called he them in and lodged them. You know, Peter invites these men in, he feeds them, he gives them lodging for the night. 
And, you know, this tells us that Peter is beginning to understand. He's beginning to lay aside his prejudice here and accept these ones. Understand what God is teaching him. You see, by entering, sorry, entertaining Gentile guests, Peter was going against the customs and the traditions of Israel. Chapter 11, just quickly, verse 1. It says, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised and did eat with them. You know, here we get a sense of the, the attitude of the Jewish Christians. They are upset that Peter has entertained them and he's had meals with them. How, how can you go in to uncircumcised men? This is the attitude of the Jews, of these Jewish Christians. This is the attitude Peter had before this time. And the Lord is now changing his attitude. Peter received these, receives these men into the house. He entertains them. He lodges them before going with them up to Caesarea to meet with Cornelius. See, Peter's beginning to understand what God is trying to teach him. Now, the lesson for us today is exactly the same, isn't it? All men are equal before God. Now, all are, all are lost. All are in need of a Savior, no matter who they are. No matter what race they are. No matter how rich they are, how poor they are. All men are equal before God. All need the Savior. The point is, all are unclean before God, aren't they? And all need Him. See, as the Lord instructed Peter, we are not to make distinction. We're not to preach to some and refuse to speak to others or give more time to some and less time to others. We're to give all men the gospel equally. Turn to James chapter 2 as we close. James 2. Just read from verse 1. James 2 verse 1, it says, My brethren... Have not the faith that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you, and draw you before the judgment seats? Do, they, uh, do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law concerning the scripture, sorry, according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin." and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Now, James is the classic passage concerning this, isn't it? James talks about this idea that we're not to make distinction. We're not to be respecters of persons. You know, here the focus in particular is on the rich and the poor, but it applies to race as well, doesn't it? The point is we are not to be respecters of persons. We're not to make distinction. We're to treat all men, all women the same. And give them all the same wonderful message. 
And verse 34 of Acts chapter 9, Peter declares this. He says, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. You know, God cares for and loves all people exactly the same, and so should we. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word once again. We thank you, Lord, for the book of Acts and, Lord, these instructions that are given to us in the early church. And, Lord, we thank you for Peter, Lord, and how you broke down his prejudice, Lord, so that he ministered to the Gentiles. Lord, we can praise and give glory to you for that fact because we are Gentiles. Lord, I pray you help us to learn the lesson, Lord, that we're not to be respecters of persons. Lord, may we give the gospel message under wall, friend or foe or wealthy or poor or whatever race. May we not be respecters of persons. May we love and care for all the same as you love and care for all the same, we pray in Jesus' name.